You're listening to the PDX Executive Podcast, a series of interviews with inspiring leaders from Portland and beyond. So Noah, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you know we're here at Schwabi, uh, Williamson and Wyatt. Thanks for hosting me at your headquarters. And first thing I like to ask, or I'm going to ask, because I noticed that you're a graduate of Washington State and U of O. Go Cougs. And you're well, you're on your LinkedIn. You say proud Cougars and Ducks. So I don't know. I'm a U of O alum. I don't know how you feel about that. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I guess when when I root for sports teams, I root for my undergraduate first and okay so and you the, take the back the seat a little bit all yeah. right i can respect that so well hey i wanted to have you on because you have a unique um kind of role here swabby in the kind of your practice area and talking about portland's growth and kind of the economic climate here so love for you just first give a background of you know what you do and the practice area you kind of head up here at swabby uh sure i am a trial lawyer I do lots of marine work and construction cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Schwabi, we have a group of lawyers that does work for the, uh, we call it the transportation ports and maritime industry. Uh, and I get to lead that group's outward facing efforts. Okay. So the lawyers in that group are um, of varied disciplines. That is, they do various things in the law from business to employment to litigators like me mm-hmm. and everything in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are spread out amongst all of our various offices. Uh, and in our industry group, I think is the, what you meant by the unique, the unique part of my role here yeah. is industry group leader. And so a couple of years ago, we organized the firm into six industry groups the transportation ports and maritime, which I mentioned, and mm-hmm. five others, uh, to focus um, learning more about the industries of our clients in those areas because we felt like we do a good job for those clients. But to really maintain our market share and to grow in the industry, we needed to be um, better educated in what our clients do. Mm-hmm. So we spend a lot of time with our clients on our own dime. We spend a lot of time learning about what they do, again, on our own dime, so that we can relate to them better, so that we can understand the challenges they face and how we can assist them right. in in getting over those challenges. Yeah, I noticed, you know, you mentioned to me before we started recording, you have offices kind of all over the Northwest, Anchorage, and down in Silicon Valley. So, for, you know, for intention of kind of this conversation, we'll kind of focus on Portland, but you know, maybe the Northwest. So, You've been at Schwabi 15 years. Uh, you've seen a lot of change and growth here sure. in Portland when you look at kind of business climate. So I'd love for you to kind of maybe talk about in your practice area, how's that cha- change with the growth? How's it affected your clients? What, what kind of, I don't know if you can say any kind of notable cases or um, you can go through. Okay. So there have been some some fairly significant changes for clients in the maritime industry in Portland. Um, and and some of them are for the good. Mm-hmm. Others are not so good. <laughs> right. uh, the one change uh, that is not so good is the shrinking of the, the, the uh, container service at the Port of Portland. The, it, actually, mostly the evaporation of the container right. service at the Port yeah. of Portland. That hasn't been positive for, for my clients. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are... Still, cargoes that ship 
to Portland and through the Port of Portland mm -hmm. and other area ports like the Port of Vancouver. Right. So the our clients are still um, engaged in the industry here and have adapted to you know work that doesn't involve containers for the most part. And in one way that uh, one set of statistics that I like focuses on just how efficient our clients are at moving cargo on the river system around here. And for example, if you just look at the shipment of grain, and, and I'm getting around to your question. Yeah, no, that's Dan, great. But, but the, if you look at the shipment of grain, um, the Army Corps of Engineers has assembled statistics, and I have a graphical representation for your listeners, <laughs> which is not helpful. But uh, so one barge can take can carry as much grain as 35 hopper cars or 134 trucks. So every time you see a towboat down coming down the river with four barges, mm -hmm. you're looking at the replacement of you know 500 trucks that aren't on 84. Wow. Uh, and and that has sort of similar reductions in pollution and um, in risk to uh, the workers that that actually perform that service. So our clients still do that work. Uh, this is one of the biggest ports in the U.S. for the shipment of grain to far-off um, ports. So we have um, clients that bring the grain uh, downriver and clients that load it onto ships, clients that fix the ships, um, so that the marine industry is still vital in the, in the Portland area. Um, the other changes, I think, other than the shutdown of the of the uh, container service that are challenging, are are you know we have a, a lot of jobs in the Portland area. There is pretty full employment here, and that that is great. Um, it also is a challenge for my clients in in filling the positions that they have. Mm -hmm. uh, like everybody else, they need workers to do the to do the the to do the jobs on the on the ships and at the shipyards etc that they need so it's it's becoming increasingly difficult to find workers to drive tugboats to and, yeah. work on decks and that's a common theme you know we interview people from different industries and in what we're under four percent unemployment here so it's a kind of a common theme on the the talent piece and right. getting people so you know how do you see that changing? I guess, how do you ch see the container? What's your, if you had a crystal ball, what's going to happen with the kind of the container service here? Are we going to kind of op open the spigot back up? I know there's a lot of hosts of issues around that, but I'd love to kind of. You know, sure. So that we, we are restricted here by the depth of the river. Mm -hmm. We're never going to be able to handle the super Panamax ships that are kind of the wave of the future. Mm -hmm. um, uh, now that the Panama canal is bigger, the ships are bigger, they carry more containers. Um, and we can never compete with that here. Yeah. Uh, so th there will be some consolidation of the container trade. Um, as to the the uh, employment or uh, staffing issues mm -hmm. that clients are facing, it, something has to break yeah. because um, the workforce is aging all over the place in law firms, in accounting firms, on tugboats. It's it's the same issue everybody's facing. Right. And and they just uh, need to hire more and um, and replace the folks that are leaving the industry, and and they are uh, some some of our clients have uh, 
really interesting approaches to um, replacing their aging workforce. And I, I'm pretty sure I could talk about this. So Vigor Industrial yeah. runs a shipyard, as mm -hmm. you know, it's Swan Island. And Vigor has uh, put a lot of effort into figuring out ways to educate the, the rising generation in doing what they do there. And they have a, a welding class that they run in conjunction with PCC, I think. Mm -hmm. And and they so they have sort of a clinic at Vigor's site. And I think the, the statistic is 40% of the students in that class are women, hmm. which is not historically the composition sure. of the, the welder workforce. Yeah. Um, so I think that kind of direct engagement by the uh, companies in the industry is an example of how they can move forward and put um, the rising generation of people, and I don't think I'm supposed to say younger people, <laughs> the rising generation of people to work yeah. in traditionally um, male-dominated workforces. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. I think there's such an opportunity f uh, here for that, and I'd love to hear like local companies like Vigor kind of taking the lead and doing interesting things. So, you know, from a kind of regulation standpoint, um, kind of what's going on with that? Are any new things coming down? The pike, or that uh, could affect you know Portland in general uh, with within the industry you serve, but have ripple effects. Are you concerned about anything? Or? Well, so the the permitting of improvements on any waterfront anywhere mm -hmm. is a challenge, mm -hmm. and has always been a challenge, and maybe less of a challenge in the current administration, but um, is still a challenge. Mm -hmm. And that's something that other lawyers in the firm are experts in helping sure. clients deal with. It's yeah. not really my ballywick, but yeah, yeah. but um, that that is always a challenge, and uh, um, I think it will remain so. The the um, uh, Tesoral Terminal at Port of Vancouver is an example uh, that seems like a good idea to some of us mm -hmm. and it didn't pass muster with the community. So it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. There are other projects like that around the state, around Washington that, that would be beneficial to our industry yeah. that uh, just may not fly because of the, the public perception of the industry. Yeah. Well, I'm going to shift a little bit and just kind of talk about Portland again. You've been you, so you've lived here, in Portland area? Yeah, since 2000. Yeah. Since 2000. So, I mean, you've seen a lot of change here. And I always like to ask this, just, you know, kind of stepping back maybe from professionally, but just living here and the change and the growth and the, the business kind of community growing and new companies moving here. You know, what do you think about that? What do you think about Portland kind of getting more notoriety and just more influx of, of people and talent here, you know, in regards to businesses? Sure. So w when I moved to Portland um, because my wife didn't want to move back to Olympia with me. <laughs> um, you could get around. The traffic was manageable. Mm -hmm. uh, that was 2000, like I said. So in that 15 years, there has to be at least 10 times as many cars on area freeways yeah. because everybody has a job and everybody has money. And that's great. Mm -hmm. Those things are great. Mm -hmm. um, but there's certainly more traffic, yeah. more congestion, in pretty much every respect around town. Um, uh, and I've lost track of your question, Dan. Yeah, I'm just asking about Portland and, you know, as it's grown, you know, a lot of people moving here, but just, 
you know, is it positive in a lot of ways? I mean, obviously there's a lot of great things. You know, we're all up, this podcast is focused on business, but, you know, as you're maybe looking to hire attorneys here, have you seen a, a different type of applicants or people moving here from other parts of the country that normally when you first started wouldn't think of Portland to kind of start their career? Yeah, I, th- that, I yeah. think that's, that's certain. Yeah. Um, we get a, a, a more interest in the area because of Portland's notoriety. And it's not just a... Um, uh, a, a small town yeah. anymore, obviously. So uh, we have uh, really high caliber people graduating law school and wanting to come here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a very good thing. Mm-hmm. And and I I didn't mean to suggest that that growth of the Portland area is bad just because it makes my commute longer. It makes my commute longer. Yeah, Taggart. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, so so. But the, but we do have a, you know, I think the the real uh, test though is are we getting a more diverse pool of applicants? Right. Yeah. And diversity is an important um, uh, goal for this firm and for all of us personally to pursue here. And I think that that we do have a more diverse workforce now um, than we did in two thousand. Right. For example. Yeah. Uh, and and that's started to be reflected in our firm, and in our leadership of the firm, um, and and those are great things. Mm-hmm. So I think the growth of the Portland area leads to uh, more lawyers, mm-hmm. which your listeners may not exactly <laughs> prefer, but but a more diverse group of excellent lawyers coming to town is never a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll we'll kind of step back and talk about, you know, I want to talk about the industry in general because. So this, you know, podcast is part of a series of events that I run and, you know, I've, I've seen kind of tech and uh, a lot of AI kind of disrupting, whether it's marketing, I think in, in the uh, legal space, I'm curious to see, you know, since you've, you know, you've been practicing law for a little while, we have these new e-discovery companies. How has just the practice of law changed with, you know, the rise of these new industries and how you work with the kind of in-house uh, kind of attorney? So is that? Sure. So you hit on the major issue um, that that in-house attorneys want to focus on, and that's um, streamlining discovery, mm-hmm. because discovery used to be you'd request some documents from the other side and you'd exchange discovery like um, like reasonable civilized people, right. <laughs> and and it then transformed in the two uh, thousands into a battle of burdensome requests and then court started to stamp tamp down on that um, because it just got too expensive and unreasonable and in it got expensive and unreasonable because lawyers are interested in uncovering everything during litigation so they don't miss something yeah and have to answer for it later Uh, but it's not always efficient Mm -hmm. Um, so the e-discovery and the ai makes it efficient in order to still <laughs> pursue a uh, discovery of everything strategy and not spend all of the money in the world doing it. Right. Um, and there's a balance there, I suppose. Um, it's tough to find in most cases, uh, just looking for the facts that you want as opposed to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's what our clients want us to do. Right. Just engage in the discovery that's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the the e-discovery and uh, the regulation of electronic data in a case, that's an all-new, well, not all-new at this point, 
um, but but is a new wrinkle in the practice of law that they certainly didn't teach me anything about sure. yeah. between 1996 and 99 in yeah. law school. Yeah, and it's changing, and um, I'm learning a lot about it, but it's no matter if you're CFO, CMO, general counsel, I mean, these things are just disrupting uh, the roles. So, they are, and, yeah. and I think, I mean, not to spin this back to why Schwabi is a great place, mm-hmm. but that's part of uh, why we have reorganized ourselves as we have. Mm-hmm. It's it's to try and focus on what's important to the client, try and understand the business of law from the prism of the client's business instead of the other way around, right. trying to force the client's business into our um, cookie cutter because our cookie cutter isn't very efficient and it's not very cost effective for CFOs sure. and for others that are actually have to answer for the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we try to know more about the client's business so that we can better um, advise the client on what to do on day-to-day legal issues uh, in which the law provides part of the equation, but certainly not all of it. Right. So, yeah, sounds great. No, it's fascinating. It's, it's, you know, I love talking about just Portland, how it's grown and changed in regards to the business uh, community. So, you know, thanks so much for being on, you know, sharing that your perspectives and, and go ducks, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Noah. You bet. Thank you, Dan. Yeah.